Hello, whatever. Hi, really out of practice. Let's try that one more time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geek Rant, episode 312, CES 2018, recorded January 21st, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the place on the only place on the internet where geeks rant, and uh, the video has been showing miles this whole time while I've been talking. That's the only place on the internet where that can happen. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so, welcome. We're back. Ladies and gentlemen, after about a six-week hiatus, and there are definitely some some uh, rusty spots as a result of it. Uh, it's it is amazing how this is uh, kind of a thing where if you don't do it all the time, you really sort of lose some of those skills. But anyway, before I go too much further, let me introduce you to your stalwart co-host, those who are always here, even when I am not. Uh, Seth, the Gooey Kid, Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenier, Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome back to the Faithful Element Opiates. We remember. <laughs> 2018, everyone. Yeah, it's here. We're back. Yeah, so I uh, this is our first show since uh, end of dis- November last year. I, I um, very uh, bluntly put it that I was just totally burned out and didn't want to do it anymore. Just That's just the, was the truth. Uh, I've had some time off. I had some time to rest and recuperate, and I'm ready to, to, to get back here and attack uh, 2018 with a vengeance. Uh, the guys and I, this is not the first time we've been together since we were last with you, though. We uh, got together last week and did a little bit of planning and some discussions about uh, what we wanted 2018 to be for the Geek Rant podcast. Um, and so there's a couple of things that we're going to try. Uh, first off, we are going to attempt a 50-minute format, five zero minutes. Now, we've already blown that because I forgot to start my timer, so we're going to be about 52 minutes, even if everything goes perfectly. Um, but that's the goal here. We're, we're um, mainly just to try to keep, tighten things up so that we're not rambling on forever and ever. Uh, and in order to facilitate that, we're going to have to do some things that we haven't done uh, in the past, you know, that we've put all together, we're going to do them separately. So our idea is that for we're going to have five different uh, types of shows in a given month. So there's on a five Wednesday month, right? There'll be five on a four Wednesday month. There'll be four. So, uh, the first Wednesday of every week, we will be talking about the geek culture stuff, the movies we're watching, the books we're reading, that kind of thing. So that whole first part of the show that we used to do about 20 minutes on, we're going to do that as a show all by itself on the first, uh, week of the month. So those of you that hate that sort of stuff can just not listen to that episode instead of whining about it all the time. Uh, so the next week, We'll do a news, a discussion topic of some sort. Uh, so that will be the second week of every show. Uh, the third uh, of every month, rather, the, th- the third week of every month will be uh, the news items. What's going on uh, in the month? So it, since we're going to be only going to be doing those uh, once a month, we'll do the whole month worth of news. So it won't just be that week. So all that effort that Seth has been putting into things that we uh, have been ignoring will hopefully not happen anymore. We'll actually be doing those things. Then the fourth week of the month will be either another topic or a continuation of the topic from the first month. So if we have like a theme month like we did uh, financial February, we'll have two financial topics. Um, uh, or if not, it'll be something completely different. And then those months that have five Wednesdays, uh, the fifth week will be for listener feedback. So we won't be doing the uh, uh, listener feedback interspersed in every show like we did before, unless it's something that is directly related to a topic we're talking about. We'll bundle all those up and we'll do them about four times a year 
when there are five Wednesdays in a month. So that is our basic lineup as we have discussed it. Guys, do you have anything to add to that discussion? I, I was going to say was that I think I think this is going to get easier as it's not going to be as complicated as that for the average listener. It's going to be pretty simple. But the good thing is, you know, we're not going to go on for a couple of hours and, you know, we got feedback on that. We, we heard you. Uh, so we're going to pull that back. And then the second thing is that we're going to be very uh, specific to our topic. So if we if we post an episode and we give it a title and you see it on the website or you see it in your podcast catcher in your ID3 tags or whatever, uh, we're going to be true to that. So you're going to know ahead of time what we're going to be talking about. And then as, as Mark rightly said, you know, you can choose whether that's for you or it's not, but this way at least everyone gets to know what we're doing. And if you just love us because you do, just listen to every one of them. You know, you might learn something. Ditto, ditto. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that uh, prompted this, and, and yes, we have gotten lots of feedback about your show is too long and two-hour show is, too, is ridiculous. And I I've personally, I don't agree with that. I have never agreed with that. Uh, getting more show is not a bad thing. And if it runs over your 45-minute commute, fine, you listen to it on your way home. Uh, and, and I understand that that doesn't work for some people, but there's a lot of people it does work for. Uh, but the reason for making it shorter, let's be totally honest, is uh, to so that I have to do less work in the in the editing and the and the production. And we're going to try to be putting more of an emphasis on video coming later in the year. We're not going to do that uh, right now. And I uh, to do that production after having come back and told you that you know I'm completely burned out and not not wanting to do anything anymore. Um, to come back and now do you know a long show um and try to do the video and all of that is just it's just asking for trouble so we're going to try to make the shows tighter uh, again 50 minutes is the re- somewhat arbitrary thing um but uh, one of the feedback we got from a listener and uh, and i can't remember the exact quote and i didn't think to pull it up there was he said something about when your shows were topical um that gave you a sense of um you know, of community, a sense of understanding. There was this thing that you were talking about when they were not topical, when they were more discussion based ended up being just sort of this long going stream of consciousness for months at a time. And it made it difficult for any one show to stand out over another. That feedback right there impacted me uh, in a way that none of the others did. The, The general whining about the show being too long didn't really move me in any way but but when this listener made this comment that um there, there was nothing singular about any one show and there was no um concept of of beginning and end that it was just one long show lasting a year at a time really spoke to me so that's why we're going to try to be more topical and um i think that's all i have to say about that yep Okay, so we have about three minutes left in this segment, uh, but since I didn't start the timer timer on time, we're just going to move on to the next one. So our, our topic for this week um, is CES 2018. Miles went to the show, uh, as he did last year, and he was sort of our roving reporter from the field, and uh, I have intentionally been pretty um, disassociated with CES, not just 2018, but in general, I don't... Uh, 
it's not really a thing I care about anymore. And so maybe Miles can make me understand a little more and care about it. So ready, Miles, go. CES 2018 and in Las Vegas. So uh, just for those that don't know what CES is, which is probably very few of us in the geek community, but it's the Consumer Electronics Show and it's an annual event. And the idea is that uh, all the manufacturers and the people who build the stuff, the gadgets and the toys we know and love, uh, all get together for three or four days uh, in, well, it's usually like a week, but they get together in Vegas every year, every January, usually the first or second week of January, and uh, second week, I, I guess. And then um, what they do is they show what they're working on and what they intend to release for the coming year. So it's not a show about uh, products that they're already selling. It's a show about products that they're going to be releasing. So um, I like the idea of it because it's it gives you a couple of days to go and walk the halls and see all the vendors and the and the manufacturers that you know about and get a sense of what's in their pipeline and what they're thinking about for the next uh, year, and then. It's one of the few times that you get to actually put all of those manufacturers together and make some sort of general assumption about where the industry is heading in the next 12 months. So that's the value. Um, and, I, and I understand where you're coming from with, the, with, with CES, Mark, because from the, from the distance, it just looks like a big rah-rah session to you know to promote and spin a bunch of manufacturers um for them to sell more gear yeah, so uh, but what, one sorry, thing there ahead. it's it's not even the consumer electronic show anymore they don't even call it that anymore it's just simply ces yeah. largely because it's no longer about consumer electronics it's a whole lot more b2b stuff and it started out as uh sellers where a uh, wholesalers sailors coming together to learn about the thing that the manufacturers were going to be having to to offer for sale in the year uh, upcoming. And then somewhere around, I don't know, 2010, 2011, it sort of became this thing for uh, the everyday geek to learn about the things that are upcoming. And and I kind of think it's fizzled on that front. It's a lot of the things that were are proposed haven't actually happened, and the things that have happened have happened in different ways. So, uh, you know, that was just my take on that. No, I think that's fair. I mean, the the other thing is it's a real meet and greet place for vendors to meet their, sorry, manufacturers to meet their distributors. Um, and a lot of that is, uh, a lot of the changes that have gone on over the sort of period you're talking about uh, happens to do with the fact that most manufacturing of electronics products these days is made in China. So you get a lot of Chinese manufacturers who are presenting what they're working on, but they're really working on what we wanted two years ago, not what's coming up. Um, there's a gradual change, but they're still not on the leading edge of invention and creation. It's more of a production thing. Um, so you have to take that into consideration. Uh, you'll see a lot of those vendors who are selling stuff that isn't all that new or hip, and then you'll get the players like Intel and Google and the big car manufacturers, and they'll show you something they're working on, and you'll be you'll have that wow moment. Uh, and it's those things that get all the press. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much how CES is. Um, given an idea of the size, uh, this year's event had one hundred eighty four thousand people attend. 
And it's um, not open to the public, right? Well, <laughs> okay. It's not open to the public officially, but it's free to enter and pretty much anybody is is going to get a ticket. All you got to do is go to the website and register and say, yeah, I work in the entertainment or the computer industry or the tech industry or something and fill out a form and you'll get in. I mean, you'll get in. It's not a problem. Or if you know somebody who's already registered, they can usually get a wad of passes they can give you, but, you know, you know, you can do it. It's not a big deal. And they don't turn anyone away. Uh, that's why 184,000 people go there. Um, but to give you a sense of, of size, at any moment in time in the city of Las Vegas, there is only 149,000 available hotel rooms. <laughs> so that kind of tells you um, how this conference is the biggest event in Las Vegas in the year and how it pretty much swamps the city. Uh, so if you go there and you don't book well ahead to get a hotel, good luck. Uh, you probably won't get one or you'll be paying, you know, $500 a night or $1,000 a night uh, and a three-night minimum stay and all of the stuff that goes with that. So just, uh, you know, be prepared if you are going. Uh, for those who have done it before, this is all common knowledge for them. Uh, the one thing that was different this year is they, uh, they now have a picture ID on the badges they print. And you have to bring, you know, like a government photo ID, like a driver's license or something to uh, to get in. They, they would, if they if they pull you and they check your badge and they, you know, at the time when they're issuing the badge or whatever, they're going to want to see ID to match the picture on the badge. So I guess it's a security thing. Um, all right. So that, uh, that's kind of the back, backdrop of CES. Um, let me get into what, what was there. Um, it was good. I mean, it was good in that I've been to CESs for the last, I think, like four years now, and this was probably one of the best ones. Uh, it was very big. Um, it takes over the entire Las Vegas Convention Center, and then it also takes over all of the neighboring hotels, particularly the Venetian, um, the Sands, the Westgate. Um, the Venetian pretty much becomes another part of the convention. It's huge. Uh, it's another massive convention center. So you do a lot of walking. Um, I walked with one of those, you know, my my uh, watch has got a step tracker on it. And I was clocking 25,000 steps, you know, per day. No sweat. Just walking around, seeing things. Um, yeah, you, it's a bit of a workout. But, you know, you see a lot. Um, so highlights. You You've probably seen all the, Shows like, you know, Twit TV and and all that stuff that, that that they show you what their highlights were. And so a lot of this stuff is is probably already in the common media. So I'll stick to the stuff that I kind of saw and thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. And it may not be the stuff that the media is reporting on. Um, but the first thing that was noteworthy was that there were two new vendors who have never actually been to CES before, or at least I don't believe they have. Uh, Google was there. And Dell was there, and both of those uh, companies, uh, I've never seen them at CES before. Um, no Apple, which, well, that's kind of historical. They stopped going to these events back into the 2000, I think it was. Um, but none of them, but you, Google showed up. And the, the weird thing was we, we went through the, uh, I went to CES with a good friend of mine, uh, Charles, and the two of us, we went through uh, Google, uh, the, the stand, and we were like, yeah, there's nothing here because with, with a company that is all about 
what's on the web and what's kind of embedded in the cloud and everything, how do you show that? I mean, what, what do you show, a booth with a Chrome browser in it? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. So anyway, no, we, we you know, Google was, was there, but other than the fact they had all their people dressed in these, um, you know, ask me Google home device looking props, um, there wasn't really all that much there that you got a sense of why Google were even there. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Dell was really hard to find. We we spent we must have spent hours trying to find Dell, and eventually we were told they're over in the Venetian. So we over we go. You know they give you the, they got this app for CES, and if you type in you want to find Dell, it comes up with like fifteen pages of Dell. And you can't tell where their center is. You know, like they're, they're everywhere. They're spread. So we went looking for it. We couldn't find it. We ended up, the closest thing we found was, a, you know, one of these hospitality um, suites where they were giving away free food and drink and had a whole lot of Dell computers on display. And I'm like, well, hey, free food and drink. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> so in we went, we did that and didn't really see any Dell. So, so that, was, <laughs> that was a no-show. Um, okay, so the stuff we did see that was pretty cool, um, there's a lot of automation in terms of uh, autonomous cars this year. Oh, man, that was everywhere. If, if you walked away from CES this year after seeing everything, you would think within six months the, the cars that you will be buying will be driving you and you won't be driving them. That, that was the feeling you got. Everybody was autonomous. Everybody was all about people movers. And, and you, you literally would, you know, get this car and get in it would drive you. And that was it. And that was the whole theme done. That was CES, you know, give up your uh, keys. You're not driving anymore. That was kind of the message. I um, welcome our overlords. Uh, I, I want that to happen someday. Were, so were you actually driving around the, the floor or were they really tightly controlled environments like around a track or something? Well, yeah, they, they did have a bit of both, actually. The, um, Intel had a really not – Intel were very big in this um, and mainly with a lot of their embedded technologies that they are selling to the car manufacturers. And, and again, it's not something which shows up very easily on a display booth, but – in order to demonstrate it, they did a lot of uh, sort of artificial environment simulations of what life would be like in uh, an Intel-powered autonomous vehicle. And so you went into this, you know, boothy thing and sat down and then they'd start the show and and it, it's like screens all around you in 3D representing what the car sees as you're traveling. And so you can see it pick up. Uh, pedestrians pick up other vehicles, pick up hazards um, in a 360-degree uh, environment. And and you know what? You did get the sense that cars were going to be safe, you know. And I think in the end of the day, you've sort of walked away thinking, I don't trust humans to drive anymore because I can see what the car can do. And there's a whole lot of this sort of open-source crowdsourced data they're getting from the roads and and all that sort of thing so you know that was cool um yeah definitely you saw you saw the uh, over the road uh, trailers semi-trailers uh, all the autonomous ones of those you saw all the autonomous cars every car manufacturer was there with their offering 
Some were really sci-fi and some were more down-to-earth. I was surprised to see Mercedes had what looked to me like a reasonable consumer-grade car that was going to drive you. Uh, And what was the uh, expectation on release of that? Uh, I didn't get to ask them that or get a sense of it. because So it's not something they were touting. They weren't saying for the model year 2019 or something like that. No, no, they weren't that close. But from what I could tell, you know, every year that's gone by, they've had a vehicle which was a prototype that fit this model. And they all look like something out of the Jetsons. Um, But now the cars are starting to look almost production ready. Uh, So I'm, I'm thinking like maybe maybe two years, three years, something like that. I guess regulation is going to slow them down a bit, but I think they're ready for it. And it's not just them. I mean, Toyota were there, Kia were there, um, I think Honda was there. Everyone was there with some sort of offering in this area. So, yeah, it's, it, it is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and the when looks like it's pretty close. Um, and then to, to a sort of associate with that, a lot of the vendors were rolling out 5G uh, networks, cellular networks, um, and the, re- the rationale behind 5G is uh, it's got low latency, and apparently autonomous vehicles need low latency. So 5G is a thing. So that was a big, a big push that we saw as well. Um, I mean, come on. Do they really need low latency? It could take three to five seconds to identify if that's a person <laughs> or a lamppost. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, this is where you really think, I don't know if I want that data in the cloud so much. <laughs> yeah, Just if, put a big hard drive in the car. <laughs> if 5G lives up to its billing, uh, it will be the universal broadband. You won't have AT&T or Comcast uh, fiber or, or cable in your home. You will have a, a cell tower on your roof, and you will have a single service that is both for all your tablets and your phones and your home. It has that kind of capacity, um, and you know, rolling out more is just a matter of you know building more towers or throwing out more satellites. You don't have to uh, deal with uh, uh, right of ways and easements to dig cable or anything like that. I, if if it can actually do what people say it can do, it will be the broadband of the future. Yeah, that certainly was how things were being sold. It was almost like an assumption. It was just the next thing they're going to do, and we just, you know, we'll assume it's here in twelve months or twenty-four months or something. It wasn't a matter of, uh, again, it wasn't a matter of if; it was a matter of when. There was a lot of that in this. Um, even uh, they, they were, there were some weird ones though. There were companies out there that were showing their their projection for cities of the future, and they did look like a cross between kind of the Jetsons and Blade Runner. Um, you felt a bit dystopian. And then on the other hand, you felt like it was clean and nice and, and you know, ra- everyone, everything's rounded edges and pretty pictures and plastic and I don't know, it just felt a little weird. Uh, <laughs> but, they're, but they're trying to build these futures and they do feel a bit like a, you know, sci-fi novel. But anyway, um, there are also a lot of the traditional manufacturers offering their next next-gen versions of their products, as particularly the case in televisions. Um, the big ones uh, are Samsung. I mean, they're massive at CES. Uh, they had this TV, which was huge. I mean, I don't know the actual measurement uh, in terms of inches, but it had to be like 200-inch TV. It was massive. And um, what they did was 
kind of cool. It was it was on a wall. It was the wall. They called it the wall. But you didn't realize that because when you went in there, there was a TV that was like a 65-inch TV showing up there. But you didn't realize that was actually a picture of a 65-inch TV being broadcast on a 200-inch TV with a pretend wall background. And then eventually that sort of disappeared and the whole wall became the TV. And that was that was amazing. Available um, next year for only $37,000. Well, I've seen when, when they rolled out 4K, um, it did not take long before that stuff actually was in the Best Buys. Uh, that, that came out very fast. And I, I'm not sure if that might be that we're just going to see massive TVs. Um, the, the other one, which was – this was amazing – LG have this flexible television. It's literally like a piece of, you know, flexible plastic. It bends and it, you know, you whatever you can do with it. It's pretty big. I mean, it'd be like a 65-inch TV that's on flexible plastic. And you just stick it on a wall and that's your TV. Well, to demonstrate this thing, they built this cavern-like maze sort of, I don't know, corridor that was all curvy. And all around it was the wall. You know, it was the the uh, TVs, uh, floor to ceiling, including the roof, was all TVs. And when you went in there, they projected this massive picture of, I don't know, underwater, and you were underwater. And then it would change to being in a jungle, and then it would change to being in a in a building. And it was just amazing. And you're walking through this, and the whole environment around you is just changing because so was, of these flexible TVs. Was there no bezel on the screens? Was it just wall-to-wall image? Yeah. Yeah, because the, 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 the piece, the material is like a poster. So you can attach them next to each other and there's no bezel. There's no end. There's no edge. It's the actual material. That's, that is what I'm looking for. You know, that's the yeah. thing, right? You just put wallpaper your wall with that, that material and then it can be whatever you want it to be. Right. Right. So, and if, I, I, go ahead, Seth. I'm sorry. If you overlap them, are they, are they smart enough to, figure that out or you know i mean or is it designed do they is there like this how does that work to make sure you don't, don't like half inch overlap or whatever i don't know because i don't think they're intending on selling multiples of them i mean i think they're just saying this is a single tv and you're going to put it on the wall like a painting and it's going to become part of your wall and you're not even going to real you know maybe it's just going to have a picture of a piece of French art or something on it, and you're not going to realize there's a TV there uh, because it doesn't stick out like it's the wall. I want to do um, away with windows. They're big, giant, inefficient holes, literally holes in the wall uh, that, you know, we try to make them as efficient as possible, but but they're not. And, and that's where your heat leaks out or in, as the case may be. So I just want to be put that thing on the wall, have a camera on the other side of it, and boom, window. Yeah, there was a guy on uh, YouTube, I think, the, was it the Linus Tech guy? He's from Canada. He did that. He, he built a – he was in a, in an office or something that didn't have any windows, so he built one of these flat TVs to be a window. Um, it's pretty impressive. Anyway, yeah, uh, it's a thing, apparently. These The TVs are becoming part of the walls now, so that's kind of kind of cool. Um, and then um, – as far as differences from last year, we there weren't so many drones and so many wearables as there were last year. Last year, that was a big thing. Uh, this year was more robotics and AI. Um, I think uh, there is still 
some of the old guard who are still trying to stay relevant. And it is hard because this is all about doing crazy things that no, and, and wow factors and trying to impress the, um, you know, the, the punters that are there. But Panasonic, I'll give them credit. They really did a good job trying, but they still don't have a product that sort of fits in that category. Um, Sony didn't kind of have the same wow factor they'd had in past years. Um, they were pretty much still showing the stuff they were showing from the previous year. They've got a, a, a like a 3D virtual reality thing for the PlayStation that people love. And rather than usurping that with something new, they just showed it again. That was kind of, you know, a bit bit drab. But that's just, you know, how it is. You can't expect everybody to have everything crazy. Um, at the one place that was interesting was uh, Kodak. And, you know, you think Kodak, oh, there's this like, dinosaur company from the 90s that missed the boat on digital film and went bankrupt or almost went bankrupt. And, you know, where are they now file? Um, every year, Kodak have been up there trying to sell something to keep the company alive. I mean, you know, stuff that's got nothing to do with film, nothing to do with anything. And it just so happened that I walked into that booth uh, right after there was a, a bit of a rumor uh, in the cryptocurrency community that Kodak were going to be releasing their own coin and their own ICO and their own crypto mining stuff. I'm thinking Kodak. I mean, this is a film company, right? Well, yeah, apparently, I, anyway, I talked to somebody about it. I said, look, I read this thing this morning in the press. And this guy, this guy is the funniest thing. Pulls me aside and he goes, I can't talk to you here about it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, really? Okay. So he pulls me aside into a, a corridor and he goes, yeah, the lawyers will have a piece of me if I tell you this, but here's what we're doing. And then he told me the whole thing and I thought, on the surface, it sounded okay. It sounded really interesting. And, uh, and then the, the, the night after CES, they went public with a press release on this stuff, and it was pretty much the same sort of story. Apparently, what's happened is they've, they're releasing a, a, their own coin, Kodak coin, and it's supposed to be used for validating ownership of digital content. Like uh, if you take that photo, you own that photo, it gets put on the blockchain somewhere and their coin is used to mine it and validate ownership. Um, yeah, oh, yes, that's a thing. But um, I don't know, most of the people in the crypto community are kind of going, oh, another one. But here's the weird thing. This company, which is basically on its deathbed and about to go out of business, releases this press release. The next day, their stock doubles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? What? Because you put an ICO together? I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's what's happening. So Kodak still kind of, you know, in the dark, fumbling its way through through into its future or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of still around, but not really a thing. That that was kind of really the the highlights of CES I found for this year. The only other thing was I did <laughs> we did manage to convince BMW to let us sit in the back of the car that went drifting. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know what it has to do with tech or anything, but they happened to be out there driving around crazy wearing tires out and uh, we managed to get a ride in the back of a driftmobile, which was fun. Um, yeah, that's my CES tale. Any questions, gentlemen? Well, just comment. I love the idea of using the blockchain to verify a chain of ownership. 
I mean, that's uh, that's kind of what Ethereum is is doing. And if Kodak wants to do that, and and you know, and they can make the technology robust, I don't mind it. But it's not a currency; it's not a coin. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know they're they're trading on the. If we just put blockchain in, and our name will double our price. You know, right? <laughs> it's this this punt. But yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit. It's it feels a bit desperate. Seth, you have any thoughts on the matter before you blow away? Uh, no, I've been watching. I'm looking at this radar, and it shows the reds part right over where I'm at. But I mean, CES sounds kind of cool. I don't know, Mark. Maybe we need the uh, Geek Rant blockchain. I think that would solve all of our problems. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll have an initial ICO next week. That shouldn't be a big deal. They, they seem to be pretty easy to slap together these days. Oh man. <laughs> And yeah, so, like, like, like we need another one, right? Look for yeah, but that. Miles, or go ahead. No, go ahead, Seth. I was going to say, was there any? I mean, you talked a little bit about five G. Is there? Was there any demoing of it? Plans of when it's going to make it out to places with a higher cow density than human density? <laughs> uh, I mean, this has the uh, process. This has the game changer for us rule type people who have single digit upload and download speeds yeah uh, no all i saw was intel was probably the most noteworthy uh, vendor that had a big 5g stand sort of somewhere intel's booth was huge they had a big 5g stand there you could go there and ask them about it i guess but um Really, there wasn't. It's really hard to demo visually. You know, it's that sort of venue is not really good for showing it. Yeah. Well, you could always pull up the trusty old speedtest.net because we know there's no real internet in those conventional fours because they make you pay like $80 a day for internet. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that's a look at the future, what CES tells us the future would look like. But first, before we get to the future, Seth, we need to look back. So tell us what happened this week in history. All right, so we're going to go in the way way back time machine to January the 21st, 1888. Yes, 2 centuries ago, Babbage's analytical engine passes the first test. This is kind of the uh, concept of a future that never was. Uh you know, what if Leonardo what if people had tried Leonardo da Vinci's uh machines and we started flying them where would we be now? What would have happened if we would have actually built Babbage's analytical engine? But the analytical engine of Charles Babbage was never completed in his lifetime, but his son, Henry Provost Babbage, built the mill portion of the machine from his father's drawings, and on January 21st, 1888, computed multiples of pi to prove the adequacy of the design. Perhaps this represents the first successful test of a portion of a modern computer. Recently, a portion of his earlier machine, the Difference Engine, was sold at auction by Christie's of London to the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, Australia. And now, Mark, that's what happened this week in history. And now, back to you. I I can't just leave that. That's amazing. Uh, 1888. um, 100 years before the microcomputer revolution, uh, we had (laughs) the macrocomputer revolution, right? These these were giant, huge mechanical devices that could uh, basically do what an abacus could do, but automatically. That seems uh, pejorative today, but in its day, it was pretty amazing. And it was so complex, it couldn't be built in his lifetime. Right. 
But, you know, what would have happened if somebody would have tried to build it? You know, version 1.0 wouldn't have worked, but they would have got closer. And, you know, would that have led to computing faster? Or would we have achieved a level of automation below what we have now and stymied progress? That would be, you know, great topics for a debate or something. Yeah, you know, one of the things that always amazes me about the history of this sort of stuff was, I mean, obviously we weren't alive in 1888, but I wonder what the the culture of the environment in which these guys lived in, whether or not there was a um, a positive influence that was in, in social culture at the time for them to break free and try and invent this new stuff. Because this stuff is like, I mean, considering what a day in the life would be like in 1888, this is way out there. I mean, you would have to have some sort of a, a, a culture that would say it's okay to go out there and then try and change the world and fail doing it. Um, I wonder what that would have been like in England in that time. Well, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, he was kind of a wealthy man, so he could sit around and do stuff like this. You know, the mill worker who had to work 36 hours a day to provide, you know, uh, gristle and stuff for his family wouldn't have had much time. But someone like him, the upper class, you know, sure, change the world and make yourself richer. And that was ex- exactly the point I was going to make. Was there uh, in a time when you had to spend so much of your effort uh, effort on getting water and chopping wood, there wasn't time for a leisurely invention. Uh, so it had to come from these aristocratic people who, at the same time, had a um, vested interest in keeping the people under them under them so that democratization process couldn't have happened at that time in history i think maybe it was built and he saw the future where he wouldn't be lord babbage and tore it apart and destroyed all records (laughs) conspiracy theory back for 2018 maybe he was jack the ripper Seth, you've always already given us a good bit of randomness, but let's let's go back with a little more. Uh, tell us what you have to lower my productivity this week to make you look like a better hiring option. Now, friends, I know you receive many gadgets um, on Christmas time, and you made you regret the fact that you have last year's gadget. It just isn't as fast. It doesn't run as well as it used to. Well, there is a website for you, and I am thinking of you, Mark. This will increase your productivity, and your kids' tablets will go great. If you go to downloadmoreram.com, you can download more RAM for your PC, your laptop, or any device. You click download, and you can choose, do you need an extra 4 gigs, 8 gigs, 16, or 32? You can get 32 gigs of DDR4 2400, uh, 1.65 volts. You select that plan, download, and then you click the download button, and you will have more RAM. And if it doesn't work, simply download more. Download moreram.com for all of your computing needs. And I can oh, tell you that it funny. is a... a, a painless and seamless process because uh while you were talking i just downloaded 32 gigs more ram into my machine (laughs) don't click the link after you've done the download you have to click the link after you've done the download you won't know if your ram's working or not i'm afraid to because i don't want the audio to go over the the, uh, the stream but uh 
Downloadmoreram.com. Where was this back in, you know, in the day when I spent, you know, $400 buying eight gigs of RAM in, uh, in uh, Best Buy back in the day? I needed this then. I guess the technology just wasn't there yet. I got wrong. <laughs> oh, I just saw the video. <laughs> awesome. That is amazing. Okay. It went from being funny to being amazing once you click on the link. So you're right, yeah. Seth. You must <laughs> click on the link. All right. So that's it. This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can con- uh, contact us. Go to elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest captcha. Fill out the form there, and that gives you a uh, uh, preference in my in-basket. Uh, and uh, we will. Uh, we love to hear from you. We will be reading those every fifth Wednesday, apparently. Uh, I don't know. Is it going to be fifth Sunday recording or f- fifth Wednesday release? we got to figure that part out. Um, but... Uh, we uh we love to hear from you. Uh, let, let us know what you think of the new format. I, I know you'll hate it. I mean, because I came up with it. Therefore, you'll hate it. That's the way the internet works. Uh, so pretend Seth came up with it because most of you seem to like him. So uh, Seth, this was all his idea. And so tell us what you think of the ideas for uh, for 2018. If you have some suggestions, and in my uh, experience, the internet is never short of suggestions. Uh, we'd like to hear what you have to say. Uh, so. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Seth, Miles, you guys got any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? No, but we're back. That's a good thing. We are indeed back. And apparently I'm trying to call Seth in a hangout on my phone. I'm not sure how that happened. But, uh, (laughs) and he just answered me and went away. Sorry, Seth. Uh, So, (laughs) technical difficulties abound. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, obviously, you, the listener, are the reason that we do this. And uh, we appreciate uh, you hanging out with us. And uh, um, we hope that you uh, have made this transition with us. We uh, went away for a while. Maybe you went away for a while, too. We'll see. Uh, but we look forward to talking with you next week because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. And remember, pay for what you like. Pay for what you like.